0: Welcome to Dr. Thoughts, a
1: smart, driven, and fabulous podcast by
2: Drs. Ryan LaValle
1: and Kalia Johnson,
2: where sometimes it's about occupation
1: and sometimes it's just sassy. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dr. Thoughts. It is your favorite auntie, Dr. Kalia Johnson, here with your favorite gay uncle, Dr. Ryan LaValley. <laughs> and we have friends, I won't call them colleagues because these are these are friends of ours, right? We have Dr. Kendra Heatwalshank and Dr. Amber Angel. And I will let them say a little bit more about themselves. But first, Kendra and Amber... We have a tradition on Doctor Thoughts that everybody names themselves as a favorite. So I am everyone's favorite auntie. Kendra, you're
3: everybody's favorite. What? I would have to say. Hmm. Can I, can it be like something I do? Like my everybody's favorite, like gardener.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's whatever you want to be. And I will co sign on that. Y'all, she is a phenomenal gardener. (laughs) If you're following her on Instagram, you know what I mean. I am dying to get in there and just pick all of the things that I want
2: to eat because her garden is beautiful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't think
2: I knew that about you. And I've got lots of questions. We're going to have.
1: All right. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. And Dr. Amber Angel, everybody's favorite going to kind of go similarly uh, as Kendra and say everyone's favorite homemade bed, homemade bread baker. Uh, yes. Everybody loves my bread.
1: Another <laughs> co-sign. <laughs> mm. Seen it on Instagram. Could kind of smell it through the posts. Right. So yeah. I feel like it's definitely worth the flight to California to get some homemade bread. <laughs>
2: Look at y'all being all occupational. <laughs> occupations.
1: Yes, yes. Love it! Some great vegetables and edible flowers from Kendra to eat with
2: Amber's amazing. Give us bread. that nasturtium. Yes,
1: thank you, thank you. All right, so tell everybody a little bit about who you are, where you work, what you do, and um, and then we'll we'll jump
3: in today's topic. All right, well, I will um, start with where, where I work right now. I'm a associate professor at Towson University and um, focus on aging in place and community navigation research wise and do a lot of teaching um, of both our master students and also our doctoral program. So I have quite a, quite a few doctoral students right now. I have three kids and um, had these kids from when I was in my getting my PhD up until the um, I was tenure track. My third kid was born year three of the tenure track process. Wow. And I'm tenured. Yeah. And tenured. Woo who yes.
0: <laughs> awesome. And Amber. My name is Amber Angel. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Southern California. Um, I do research on health disparities and autism, so access to services for underserved groups. Um, I have one child who's in kindergarten, and I had him when I was a PhD student.
2: All right, thank Y'all you both for most sharing. difficult times to have children. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And very interesting
1: times too. We'll we'll definitely jump into that in the conversation, but it's interesting to hear the range um, for Kendra, um, you know, having the first or being pregnant with the first while you're a PhD student, and then um, your third in the third year on tenure track. And actually, I remember your dissertation defense (laughs) Um, and being pregnant and thinking like, that is awesome. Um, that could not be me, but interesting enough now being pregnant in the third year, (laughs) which everyone says like, you do it then, or you don't do it at all. Kind of like if you're a doc student, do it in the third year or not at all. Um, and, and same with, with Andrew, Amber, excuse me, like the, the time in which you had, um, your son as well. So, um, if you all haven't picked up on it yet, you know, we are talking about sort of making that transition from being an, an academic to an academic mama um, on this episode, um, because your favorite auntie is actually at the halfway point of a pregnancy and going into the third year of tenure track. So having lots of feelings um, about that, both good, bad, and indifferent, maybe. Um, but, you know, it's nice to have other sort of like sisters in the academy, right, who have been through this, and we're we're just talking about for sort of what that transition means, what it looks like, um, particularly for women in the ivory tower, um, and women who are researchers in occupational science and occupational therapy. Yes,
3: well, so, congratulations, mm-hmm. can't be said enough for <laughs> your news, and also for being on the journey, so.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, it's, um, definitely a lot brighter <laughs> news to look forward to after coming out of 2020 in the kind of year everybody <laughs> had, right? Um, but, you know, it has not come without its, um, I guess, concerns, and particularly around work, you know, not so much about being a mom, you know, I think I'm, uh, we're both at a point now in our lives where we're like, oh yeah, we can support a baby, and it's cool, was it in, the, in the plan necessarily? No, but, um you know, I'm about to be 38, Julian's 40. So um, <laughs> we're almost halfway through our lives according to, you know, public health statistics. So we should, we should be ready to go with this thing. But um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about um, sort of the timing of pregnancies, right? Um, and, and being doctoral students, I can remember like being told, um, will f- will first be asked if I even had a child when I was interviewing um, for doctoral programs. Which anybody listening to this, please know that is a huge no no. Just don't don't ask <laughs> about parenthood, politics, religion, all of the all of the big things, right? Just leave that out of your interview. Um, but then turning around and being advi- advised not to do it, but should I, you know, become pregnant doing that that magical third year? There's something about the number three, right? Um, but but also being encouraged um, by Dr. Grace Baranek though, to attend a seminar that was hosted um, with our Women's Studies Department um, at UNC together with the one at Duke um, about sort of women having children while on, on tenure track. And so Marianne Mason, who was one of the co-authors um, of the book was a uh, presenter for um this presentation and I'm certainly glad that I went because it really changed my perception of what it meant to be a mom in the ivory tower and the name of that book for for folks who are interested is do babies matter gender and family in the ivory tower um so were either you like discouraged from from having children or at least, or are, are told like, oh, you maybe you should rethink that um, even after getting pregnant.
0: <laughs> well, for me, I, I knew I wanted to have a baby. And, you know, I I've, often those of us who are in academia and at sort of the, the crux of our careers, those are childbearing years. If you want to have a baby, it's going to probably be during that time. And I knew I wanted to, I'd practiced for six years. So I was however old, starting my PhD. Um, And like a good academic, I I decided I would just ask all, any women in academia who would talk to me about it, whether they had kids, whether they didn't have kids, what their choice was, why they made the choice, what their advice was. My intention was to find the quote, perfect time where I could still have my career. Um, And in hindsight, um, there is no perfect time, but it Mm -hmm. was, uh, it was really it, I was kind of gathering information and I decided to have um, to try to have a child and did have a child while I was working on my PhD. For me, the timing actually was great. I mean, great. The timing uh, worked out well because it was flexible um, and we're trying to return to, to working on my PhD after having a baby was really hard for me. Uh, it was really hard for me to leave my baby with other people. He cried a lot. I had what I eventually came to know as postpartum anxiety, and I was able to kind of step back for a little bit um, and not leave him in daycare till he was about eight months old, which was a huge gift given how short parental leave is in our society across um, careers, industries, disciplines. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, so, I, so to answer your question, I had a lot of different advice, right? Don't do it then, do do it then. Oh, don't do it while you're on the tenure track because blah, blah, blah. Wait till you get tenure because blah, blah, blah. Do it, you know, don't do it when you're a PhD student blah, blah, blah. And I think in hindsight, I was trying to create this perfect path and it doesn't exist. And there are challenges associated with whatever choice you make. And mm-hmm. there are beautiful gifts associated with whatever choice you make. And, mm-hmm. you know... I think that if I had understood, um, so yeah, to answer your question, I felt felt strong opinions, maybe not pressure, but strong opinions. And I felt worried about how I perceived. And that made me not talk about things with people. That's the big thing in hindsight. If I had understood, like this is literally one of the most normal things you can do. Like literally having kids is like, Do, and I I was like approaching it like oh my gosh they're gonna think I'm not serious about blah 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 or whatever, and it was actually all I think some of that was in my in my head, not to discount challenges that people that women do face in academia and in other careers, but I think a lot of it was in my head, um and so everyone has opinions as soon as you get pregnant everyone has a opi- strong opinions strangers have strong opinions the moment that you're pregnant about how you should raise your child it's kind of amazing strong opinions that they feel comfortable sharing with you. But um, so my path did work out for me and it did have challenges and I'm grateful for that flexibility. Um, But uh, yeah, I think that, I think there's so many different ways to do it and they're all really valid is what I think.
2: I just want to clarify, you said that you practiced for six years. That's as an occupational therapist, not practiced having children, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how do you practice that? I need to know.
0: (laughs) I was a a (laughs) pediatrician, so I kind of was. (laughs) There you go.
2: You heard it here. If you want to practice for having children, be a pediatric occupational therapist.
3: (laughs) It sounds like that's where I messed up then, right? Being an adult (laughs) (laughs) practice. Amber, I'm so interested that you were um, like really explicit in asking for advice and trying to get input and opinions. I was the opposite. So in some, in some ways, we had really similar experiences in that it was, I was during, um, I had just started data collection when I gave birth to my daughter. And yeah, I was trying to sort of think about what would be the best timing, but I didn't seek any input at all. And part of it was that sort of self-protection Like, I don't want anybody to give me advice that I don't want or that I can't work with. I had already been counseled by a professor not to get married while I was in grad school. And so I think I was a little gun shy about like even opening that door. Um, But implicitly, I I was in a department where very few of the professors had children or if they did have children, they were fully grown and that it went into academia after their kids were already sort of launched. Um, so I had a lot of implicit messages at the time that those two things just didn't overlap. And maybe it's partly personality. Maybe it, maybe it is just because it's a normal part of experience outside of that world. It's hard for me to think about going from being um, an academic to being a mama because I sort of did both at the same time, or at least that's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. That those things, um, and it goes back to the timing question, but those, those identities for me developed really synchronously and I didn't seek a lot of input because I just didn't see it and that does now affect my feelings of really needing to be more visible more open about it about what my family looks like about how I um, sort of make the pieces fit I try to make that evident to students because I have a lot of having graduate students and doctoral students, I have a lot of students who have kids or are considering that. And so I think it's something that I can do now is to be that, to be an example of what it could look like. Obviously everyone's path is is different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, sort of reflecting on my school experience. I mean, I did have a couple um, students in my um, cohort when I was in OT school that had children and magically had them during spring break. I was like, how do you do <laughs> that? <laughs> because that's what I want my experience to be. And then of course <laughs> you, you become a professor and learn that you really don't have spring break, you know? Um, <laughs> so, but, but yeah, like having those examples means everything. Um, Cause then becoming a doctoral student, right? Um, I think before um, Nancy Bagatelle joined us on faculty, you know, we only had one person on faculty who had a child, you know, um, and it was later, um, and, you know, just didn't didn't have, I guess, um, an example or even someone you could speak to about it that would encourage um, family planning, um, or at least gave their perception that they wouldn't be supportive of it. I'll say that, but, you know, both of you bring up very, um, I think, critical points that are brought up in that do babies matter text. Um, And one of the things that Marianne Mason wrote, um, as in, I guess, commentary to the book in Slate, was that women pay a baby penalty over the course of a career in academia, from the tentative graduate school years, through the pressure cooker of tenure, the long mid-career march, and then finally, retirement, um, but babies matter in different ways and at different times, and it's well established that women are less likely to be awarded tenure than men. There is a baby penalty, especially strong in the sciences, um, but women without children also receive tenure at a lower rate than men. There are other factors than children that cause women to fail at this critical juncture. Um, the women who do make it often do so alone. Um, women professors have higher divorce rates, marriage rates, and all these other things. Um, but related to what we do among tenured faculty, 70% are men and are married with children only compared to 44% who are women. Um, and most PhDs are achieved in tenure granted in the critical decades of 30 and 40. Just like Amber said, it's like the, the sort of time <laughs> that you know women are we'll say, you know, educated women, or I won't say educated, but women who have pursued PhDs and are going into the, the professoriate, like a lot of that is happening between 30 and 40, right? Like I mentioned, I'm 38. And that's also sort of like the, the prime time when when people are having children, but, you know, this that show us that sort of the career ladder seems to be um, affected by that. But we know, anecdotally, that, you know, folks like Kendra, um, are, are able to get tenure without issues. So, you know, then the question to me is, is like, really can academia be a supportive place where um, expecting mothers and existing mothers can really thrive um, and get tenure, right? Cause that's, that's part of the goal. That's why we're there. That's why we're on tenure track is to sort of meet that career milestone. So what what do you
3: all think? Well, let me just add one more. Let me talk about the middle child. So I mentioned first was during PhD, last was um, while I was on the tenure track year three. My second child is the one that you remember, Kalia, from when I was defending my dissertation. I defended my dissertation eight months pregnant and seven months anyway. And so it was also on the job market that, that spring semester trying to hide a bump where, you know, the suit jackets and all the like clothing maneuvers that we do when we're trying to hide it. But it was, you know, that was definitely more, one of the more complicated times. I honestly can't think of any benefits to having a child right when you're trying to go on the job market. Um, I'm sure there are, but I can't think of any good parts (laughs) about that. And it really crystallized for me, the kinds of um, questions I was asking, the, 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 the nature of the department, policies. I don't think I would have been so critically looking at that if I had not been pregnant at the time, even though I already had a child. And again, I was just like you're saying, I was asked all kinds of questions. They toured me to daycare centers for my daughter. At things that to me felt quite, and I won't mention <laughs> these universities, but that I think quite were skirting the edge of legality to kind of ask me some of these things. And I, it just felt so, um, so clear to me the places that would be a fit for how I could see my life unfolding in these dual um, sort of pillars of my focus, in places that absolutely would not. And so when you say things like, you know, is academia a place? I think the honest answer is yes and no. There are places that can be supportive. There are places that have the policy and the culture. Or, or are trying to have those things that can make it possible, and there are places and departments that are quite frankly hostile to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I think that that range is something. To, it's not all one thing, and being really attuned to what is going to make something um, more friendly, family friendly, or not, for lack of a better term, is really important.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that. Um... You know, not at all to downplay the challenges, the statistics that you just gave us, Kalia. That we we know across all careers, women take on disproportionate labor in terms of you know raising children, having families, um, mental labor, emotional labor, even housework. Right? That's still Mm -hmm. a problem in our society that I think is part of what contributes to some of the statistics that you that you shared. But I do, I I actually found compared to um, some of the horror stories I read, you know, again, I was my dutiful academic in preparing to have the child at the perfect time. And I read a book called Mama PHD. And it was really, it's just stories. It's a lot of stories. But, and I joined some Facebook groups, academic Facebook groups, and they were super helpful. um, And I think I was, I was sort of attuned to these horror stories. And a lot of them took place in, historically male types of disciplines, right? And it would be like a male coworker saying something totally inappropriate or whatever. And I think that in our field, which is historically more female, it is relatively, in my experience, my observations, it's relatively more family friendly. But I think you're right, Kendra, down to the department, the university level and then the department, I think makes a huge difference. Um, you know, hearing you guys say you were counseled to not have a child, you were counseled to not get married. That is not my experience. And that's kind of horrifying to me, honestly. Um, you know, the three universities I've been at, and I, I will share names because I, I I felt incredibly supported um, as, a, as a new mom, as a mom going throughout, but USC, University of Illinois Chicago and University of Florida, I was thinking as I was preparing for this podcast of all my mentors, some of them have children, some of them don't, but all along the way I had just little things, right? Totally encouraged to talk about my child at work, to run and take care of an emergency when I need to, to, um, you know, sharing family-friendly activities to do on the weekend where it's implied that you're not going to be working all weekend. You're going to be with your child, Mm -hmm. you know, taking some time off when you need it. Just the kind of advice that's like, uh, hey, this is what matters. You have a baby. This is, this, you know, you feel like these academic things matter so much. And I had one of my PhD mentors just just giving me permission. This is so important. This is your child, you know, like the other stuff feels so important and other people around you feel that it is, but like, let's just take a step back and look at the big picture. So I had that kind of um, encouragement and mentorship along the way. And I think, it makes a huge difference. Again, yeah, we still need better family-friendly like tenure policies. We still need, everywhere, we need better parental leave. I think it's absurd how little time parents get off. Um, But I think there are little things that can be done um, by mentors, by colleagues. And I also hearing you guys talk about being in departments that didn't have a lot of new parents or parents with young children. I think that makes a difference too because i'm thinking of all the departments i've been in and there were parents with young children and it just kind of becomes normalized i think,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that, as... that word normalizing is so is so important yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah i was just gonna say as one of those colleagues without children maybe someday with hope um mm-hmm. but <laughs> very different process that's a whole different podcast episode <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'm just wondering what are the sorts of things that colleagues can do and, and maybe not do to support you all as academic mamas? Um, particularly, I, I mean, for me, like as a male colleague, <laughs> um, what are the inappropriate things that are said that we should not say? And what are things that we can do or policies that we can advocate for sort of like allyship for academic mamas? Um, what, what are the, the concrete things that you all are looking for?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I guess for
1: me, the first thing is to like, just be happy for your colleague and congratulate them and not let the very first question be, what are you going to do about tenure? Or what about your (laughs) tenure clock? Um, Because I mean, the the academy already places those pressures on you, right? And then when you're already a professor of color. There's already added pressures on top of that because- the reality of it is, and this is already public knowledge that the Chronicle put out a couple weeks ago, is that of the, you know, two, nearly 300 professors at UNC that are tenured, less than 10 are Black. So, you know, there, there's that, but I don't, I don't need colleagues to remind me of that. I already know, you know, just be, just be happy for me and ready to, 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 to love on us and, And the baby but the other thing you mentioned about advocating is absolutely right you know um at unc we get 10 weeks parental leave um they actually have stuff in place for the non-birthing parent which was actually surprising to me because i haven't read that at any other university or heard about that from any other colleagues at at their universities but even broadly you know the paternal leave policies far and wide are trash (laughs) you know, Julian's company offers a week, one business week. Wow. That is it. <laughs> but his last company at least offered six, but I'm still like, what? Six weeks, <laughs> you know, any other time to take off is, is leave, but really, you know, being supportive, not adding these additional pressures. Um, even if the policies don't pertain to you, being an advocate for those in your department who it does impact to say like, here's here's what I know my colleagues need, we need to do better. Um, But, but also offer a hand, um, even if he or she doesn't ask, like you, you know, when people are tired, and when they need a little, a little extra boost, or something, if there is, if you have time and can help do so, Mm -hmm. do so.
2: And you know I'm ready to jump over to help this kid out. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm going to teach him all, or her or them all the things. <laughs>
3: yes, yes. You're lucky oh. to have each other. You're so They're going to be
2: in heels at two no matter their gender expression
1: <laughs> or identity. <laughs> oh, I've actually seen some really cute Disney heels so I might just go ahead and buy them.
3: Anyway. It's happening. <laughs> I think I- it also has to be said that it's not just about having the policies and advocating for the policies, but also I'm going to say the word again: normalizing using mm-hmm. those policies. Because I, I am at a university. At I mean, at Towson, there's a great parental leave policy. It applies to adoption. It applies to both parents equally, and um, and for the most part, it is a really you know that you can get an extra year on the tenure clock. Maternity leave is very generous in terms of course sort of buyout time um but I didn't take it all Mm. and part of that I took about half of the maternity leave that I was eligible for and half of it and I didn't take any delay on the tenure clock which I mean it surely would have benefited me but I chose not to in part because it is available but there's still a bit of stigma attached Mm. to it and I have a little bit of regret about that not because um it would have impacted the outcome for myself, but because it didn't further normalize it in my department. Since I had my um, son, four other babies have been, no, five other babies have been born in the last five years and I I don't know of any that have taken the full amount of maternity available, and partly it's because the the timing has worked out. We have a lot of summer babies, a lot of May babies. (laughs) Um, You know, there, there are lots of there are lots of factors and other ways of sort of figuring out workloads. But it's not just having the policies. It's also having sort of permission to use them. And I I will. So in the process of interviewing at Towson. This, uh, this baby that I was pregnant with during the job market. So I ended up waiting a year because I didn't find a, a, um, a great fit. And then um, when I was interviewing at Towson, they sent the, the schedule for the two-day interview. And I had to write back and say, I have a newborn and I will need to pump every three hours. So please, um, can you send me a revised schedule that has a 20 to 30 minute break every three hours? And they did it within an hour no problem and we have a designated breastfeeding room wow and you know that that tells you a lot about not only are the supports there but you know what is the response to to using those and some of the those intangible things as well That's yeah you know i think sorry
0: no no go ahead normalizing you know what i was about to say ryan was um you know, thinking about things like scheduling meetings. Before I had a baby, I worked all the time. I worked on weekends. I was writing, you know, evenings. And that's a normal part of academic culture. When you have a child, um, for me, it was this great external thing that put boundaries on my time. So I don't, I maybe I, whatever that looks like for particular parents, maybe I don't do evening meetings. I have to leave by four to pick up my child from whatever. I don't do meetings on weekends, whatever it is. But really that benefits everyone. So I, you know, it's kind of to normalizing uh, a non, um, normalizing a culture where people can have boundaries, whether they have a kid or not. And normalize, you know, not having this culture where we kind of almost, it's like a, getting no sleep and not taking care of yourself is like means you're an extra hard worker. And it's sort of like something to brag about implicitly. Right? Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of benefits everybody. But you know, also, and this is a little bit, I found this to be a little unpopular um, to talk about among women, but I'm gonna say it. Um, When I was pregnant, I also was thinking about my experience of pregnancy, and um, I understand why feminists want to be careful to not make pregnancy seem like, uh, I don't know, some bizarre condition where you sort of can't, you know, there, I know that I understand the impetus to be like, women can do lots of things. They can do lots of things while pregnant. Some women do amazing things while pregnant. And I was in awe of them. And that was not me. I was in bed a lot. I was really sick. I was really emotional. My brain didn't work the way it did before. And when you're an academic, there's a lot of shame in that. Like the foggy brain and honestly it's never totally come back my word recall it's still a little like i'll pause and my six-year-old now like fills in the word for me that I can't, like <laughs> <laughs> nothing comes around um
3: and bad it, news it, that doesn't get better amber oh
0: no, exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but actually i i felt so ashamed because you that's what you do as an academic you have a sharp mind that you use all the time and when you feel to, to feel a little out of control to feel um like you if you're an academic, you're probably an overachiever. So you're probably used to being like, I can just set my mind to something and just do it. And to have something take over your body and just feel out of control, for me was really, really hard and disorienting. And so I guess the point of that is just kind of, again, like normalizing all the range of experiences and and maybe having some grace for your coworker if they are kind of in that space of struggling with foggy pregnancy, mommy brain, sleep deprivation, whatever, just kind of having, like, giving everyone a little extra grace um, and kind of understanding those experiences.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And can I add one more sort of practical kind of allyship kind of move that relates to what Amber said is also sometimes just offsetting, being open to having meetings, you know, not start at nine. Mm. If all of our meetings have to start at 9 a.m., that implies that everybody's already been in the office for, you know, Enough time to get ready for that nine a.m. meeting. If you have to put people on the bus, or you have caregiving responsibilities, and your caregiver or your respite worker doesn't arrive, it can sometimes be really hard to have that hard start. So having a nine fifteen to ten fifteen meeting, um, or you know, relating to the pumping breaks, having avoiding having meetings that last for three hours, like having those regular breaks so people can take care, check in you know, respond to texts. It works for parents. It's also good for people with other caregiving responsibilities or chronic health conditions. I think that kind of culture of sort of acknowledging that we have responsibilities and also bodies that need care does benefit everyone ultimately. Mm
1: Or the fact, we just don't want to sit in three-hour meetings.
3: (laughs) (laughs) If if that's the only thing that comes out of 2020, it'll be a good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and to sort of re-emphasize two, you know, points or a point that both of you made um, is even beyond the colleague-to-colleague relationship, the mentor-mentee, relationship right um i am blessed to be in a division where i do feel super supported by my colleagues but my mentors were the first to say what are you going to do how are you going to adjust to take care of yourself first no questions about tenure no questions out about papers and projects it was literally like get this shit off your plate (laughs) So that you can protect your time and energy now, you know, or having my mentor say to me just last week, because I had mentioned like, oh, I think I'm just going to work up, work up until the time um, I have the baby. She's like, no. (laughs) No, don't do that. <laughs> Give yourself time to transition out of that work, you know, nest, do all of those things, sort of center yourself for this next major thing that's about to happen. Like, don't work right up until, you know, you have the baby. Just, I'm telling you, don't do it. Not, I'm advising you not to, d- don't, just don't do it.
3: <laughs> that's a really good litmus yeah. test for mentor. Like, how do yeah, they is. respond and, and center you in that moment?
1: Yeah, no, she she is amazing. But even my my male mentors, um, one who you, you all know, Antoine Belliard, um, he did have twins, um, while on tenure track. You know, understanding that the non birthing parent experience is different, and the sort of expectations of, of ac- men in academia, even with children, are a bit different. Um you know, he also advised, um, one, to check out the policies early and, you know, having gone through that, like, sort of here are the loopholes, here's the other stuff that they don't tell you that you need to ask for. Um, but also it's like, if you need that extra year on the tenure track, do it. Um, but if you don't, don't, like, no questions about sort of, you know, no, you need to push through and just all of these things around taking care of the research and stuff like that. It's, like really. It's about being a parent now. Um, And so, yeah, mentors um, who are listening in, you know, this, this, all of this relates to you too. It's more than just being a a good colleague, but a good mentor and advocate for your your mentees as well. I mean, that's really made all the difference in my own sort of like confidence and comfort um, going through this. Because I tell you, like finding out I was pregnant, honestly, the very first thing I thought about was my work you know which that shouldn't be but it it was and I still think about it um a lot um but thank god for good mentors who are like girl cut it out <laughs> you will be fine um, yeah mm. but considering what's been happening with tenure at UNC lately if you've been ke- keeping up with the news yes. Time, oh the drama yeah love Carolina but at the same time as oh girl what are you doing <laughs> she she's showing out
2: (laughs) I guess I have another question um you know you all have talked a lot about challenges um you know what are the things that it has really infused learning or it has sort of benefited your work Um, not that you know babies are we should always look for ways babies can benefit our work but um you know are there ways that it's transformed the way you do your work or the way you see your work I heard boundaries was there I mean I've That's an amazing thing that I've learned in the past (laughs) um, two or three years, um, boundaries to work life. But are there other things that having kids or going through the pregnancy process in academia has really taught you and and improved or enriched your work?
3: Yeah, I know. I I fully agree with Amber's um, description of boundaries. I think part of it is also working smarter. Mm -hmm. So finding ways to have efficiencies, to really... I mean, we all always talk about integrating teaching scholarship and service. No, you have to integrate. You have to make the parts of your life sort of work together. Um, And I I think that's a good thing. I think that improves what I do. Maybe it's because I was an OT first and then went into academia, but I never had any illusions that I could, you know, what are, what are these so, co- social cultural phrases we use, have it all, or like, mm-hmm. I never had any illusions about that. Like we all have only so many hours in the day. And so I think it also forces you to, to own your choices. And so one of the things that I find really helpful and repeat, it's almost like my personal mantra is, I choose this, I choose to be a professor, I choose to have a family. And so if that means that I'm working from eight to 11, some nights of the week, I, I chose to be available to my family from four to seven. And I, it really helps me or, or reminds me that I'm still in a position of incredible privilege mm. to be able to flex my time, to be able to be home. Even if th- there are long hours, I'm still only working one job. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like more than one job, but I think some of those, it has forced sort of a, a mindfulness and a gratitude um, about the privileges of both, both being able to be a parent and being able to be a professor that, um, that may not have been as, as necessary uh, if I hadn't you know, been living out both of these technically full-time jobs. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The, the boundaries was huge. And I agree, it part, the way you do it is by working smarter for sure. Um, we we made up a lot of songs when my son was little and some of them have carried into, you know, we still sing today. And one of them is about the weekend. It's a song we sing when the weekend comes and the, the end of it. So it goes, weekend, it's the weekend, weekend, it's the weekend, weekend, it's the weekend. No, school, no, work. And, we, and so like, that's part of the like, we don't do school or work on the weekend. Um, and that's become, that was like part of our family thing, right? That All that is to say, as he got older and things kind of shifted, and a grant was due, I did work sometimes on weekends while his dad took him to some fun. So it's the, like, I think academic life does allow that, right? It's like working smart, like you're saying, Kendra, integrating. And also, yeah, I'm I'm submitting grants. That's an intense thing to do. And sometimes you sort of do that and then maybe you have the flexibility in an academic career to then not work on the weekends other times or whatever it is, whatever that looks like. So um, to me, I think that has been something great to come out of it. and also, you know, I was doing ethnographic research with families at the time. And it was really interesting and beautiful to share with the families. You know, It was families of children with autism. So I've been following them around and asking them about their family life and then to share with them that I was pregnant. And it was this really beautiful, like, um, just that for them to share my joy and for them to then kind of go, oh, Do you know about this? Or oh, you've got to take care of yourself in this way. Or one of them made me a baby blanket. And you know, just the it it was it was so cool to understand their experience in a new, different way. To have them, they were of course already the expert in their own experience, as we say in qualitative research and also OT, but it was it was like an additional layer of that and me sort of joining their world in this way. And there, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of Um, beautiful things like that. And then also understanding, you know, your students' experiences when they have kids and just kind of understanding. I think think it can help you take that step back view where you're not so immersed in like, this is all that matters is my academic career, right? You can just kind of like, you see that it actually doesn't matter quite as much as it looked like when you were sort of up close and so anxious about it. And it's it's a little bit of a like bigger picture view in life. I think it can help sort of foster that.
1: Yeah, that yes. is beautiful advice. Um Kendra and Amber, thank you both for that. And for being examples to me too. You know, I have spoken to both of you <laughs> offline about you know sort of coming into this journey and and what it means. Um, for my family, but also career. And um, you all just continue to reiterate that to me and others that, you know, our our careers are are only part of us um, and, and not who we are exclusively. Um, it's so much, so much bigger than that, so much more of our lives that we we need to enjoy. And I tell you what, if pregnancy doesn't help you reframe that, I don't <laughs> I don't, I don't know what will um and so, um, I guess to other um, folks who are aspiring parents, or, or also um, on this journey at the same time, um, I think that is that is very powerful, right? To re to reframe your thinking around it, because you know we only come this way once, and um, those careers will be there whether we are or not. <laughs> um, so, thank thank you all for for sharing that
2: um Brian, any um, final questions or, or thoughts um, my thought actually is is thinking about that reframing and, and uh, maybe Kendra has heard this as well but in like the older adult world we talk a lot about sort of the the silver tsunami or like the the negative aspect of lots of older people growing and part of the work that I do is doing a positive frame on aging and thinking about, Yes, there are a lot of older people who are coming into our population, but that's an opportunity for systemic change and creating a more accessible and inclusive space that is age friendly, you know, and that's going to be friendly for all people. And I also think about that in my, my, like, sort of queer identity and the social structures that my experience as a queer person really forces me to challenge, like you're talking about women who are are more um, doing housework and sort of held to different accountability standards in academia, whereas like as a queer couple, we have to have those conversations. Like we, we can't just function off of a, a social norm. And so it's almost a gay privilege that I have to go home and say like, okay, who's gonna cook? Like mm-hmm. you hate my cooking, so <laughs> you know <laughs> what's gonna happen? And so I don't know, I think it's a really powerful switch to think of pregnancy and motherhood and parenting as a thing that can really force systemic change to improve academia and to to add to it and be value added in the experiences of professors that allow us to challenge some of the really problematic ways that academia forces people to live. their everyday lives. Um, so I don't know, I, th- I, I don't want to say you all are super women or anything like that, um, but I think it's a powerful pause that pregnant, a pregnant pause, if you will, um, <laughs> that allows us to really transform how we think about our work as academicians and the, the value that these different experiences bring to the table. And this is also why we need diverse faculty both in, you know, whatever sort of identity, but also in life experiences, so that you don't just have the echo chamber of, this is how I do my work, and you should do it this way, too. Um, So thank you all so much for bringing those different perspectives to the table, and and as me just sitting here, like drinking tea, like, oh my God, these people are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much. And I just really value having sort of colleagues who can bring those things to light and really see mm-hmm. the the depth of their experience for, and share it with the rest of us.
3: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: thanks for and being to, for the community. Yeah. Yeah. And to add to um, our favorite gay uncle's point, um, <laughs> you know, we've sort of focused on, tenure track and the tenure track experience, right? But we are talking about women who occupy all roles in academia because it affects all of us and and our our male colleagues too, who are also parents. So it doesn't matter if you're a tenure track, if you're fixed term, permanent or temporary, adjunct, staff, it doesn't matter. Like this, this is a concern for for um everyone and we're you know sort of speaking specifically to tenure track because that's just you know where we are in our careers but this is this is a concern across the board um so even for your your non-tenure track colleagues and friends um please keep everything that we're saying in mind for them as well yeah so again thank you both so 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 much for um being with us today on on Dr. Thoughts and um, for welcoming me. me, That's kind of hard to say. It's like, how many (laughs) syllables is that? (laughs) Um, To the um, Academic Mamas and OS Mamas Club. So um, really appreciate you both. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. All right, good people. And um, until next time, keep (laughs) thoughting. (laughs) Thank <laughs> <laughs>